This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It's the Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. And with Sharon B's music, we're back with Mutual Presents. I'm Jack Ward. This week, we're on to the third session of Sunday's MadCon 2021 virtual event that happened last July. This week we have Structuring Your Production World, hosted by me. Please join us. Morning, everyone. I'm Jack Ward from the Sonic Society, Electric by Kuna Productions, and most recently the Mutual Audio Network. Structuring Your Production is our session here, and this is how we how to structure your project, how to put together the audio drama. And with me today, we have a couple of people on the panel. I'd like to start off with person on my top. Paul Walsh is the creator, writer, sound director, and reluctant voice actor. I understand that, Paul, directly. Of the Irish sci-fi comedies, The Green Horizon and Voiders, which I had only recently realized I hadn't listened to Voiders, and now I'm castigating myself for that. When Paul isn't too busy writing and producing The Green Horizon and Voiders, you can find him posing on rocks like a siren, listening to the 1979 fourth place Eurovision Sound Contest entree. That's good. I won't be respond to that. And repeat and looking up the collective nouns of birds on Wikipedia. I think that's really important stuff. I took that directly from your bio, Paul, because I thought it was too much fun not to. And yeah. of course, <laughs> thank you for coming, Paul. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, that's bio. I, I only, I put that up for kind of like for a bit of fun on uh, the Fancy Nonsense Network is the network I'm a part of and they wanted bios from everybody. So I put that up as my bio. And then when you asked for bios, I said, oh, geez, I'll just copy and paste this. And I never really thought about the fact that it's it, it's not as serious probably as it should be. Well, if you're writing comedies, it shouldn't be, right? Yeah. That's part, yeah. part and parcel of who you are. And maybe we can talk a little bit about networks and how that, fa- uh, that factors into what you're doing. Uh, in this context at some point, but I, I, I can't not introduce our other panelists. As I've said before, I have introduced him in the past and I will continue to do so as he is my brother from another mother and he is the writer, producer, storyteller, editor, director and actor from Ninth Tower Productions. The Amigos Collective, which I'm a part of uh, gratefully. Broken Sea Audio was where he got really going with stuff and other productions, of course. Electric Vicuna Productions being one of them, thankfully. And he's a fiction writer and an editor. And most of all, as his fans call him, an audio auteur, Mr. Lothar Tuppen, with a Thank name again, that Jack. sounds like it comes straight out of Pulp Fiction. Thank you, sir. I've had many people say, that's not your real name, right? And it's like, I'm actually a junior. My dad's name was Lothar Tuppen too. So. That's great. So 
Thank you for coming again, Lothar, for this. So as I said, today, this particular session, we wanted to talk about how to structure your production. We got a little bit into that um, in the last one, but I want to get into the very important things. So what are the basics that somebody needs to do to structure your production from the post-producer's side of things? Let's start with Lothar. You've been doing production for how long? <sighs> uh started getting training in 2010 um started later on that yeah during that process taking more and more on um yeah pretty much continually since then with really early audacity and then moving moving into the future as time went on okay so what is the basics that you use to mm. structure your production from and do you mean like once we're starting to bring things into our DAW and we're just starting to put everything together at that point? That's right. You get all the files sent to mm -hmm. you from actors right. and you have the script in front of you. What do you do next? Okay. First thing I do is I clean lines and select takes. That'll be the first process to do that in everyone. And that's the most boring thing in the world, but it's absolutely essential. Um, do the leveling bring, and then bring them into the actual scene itself and start placing it, make sure the levels are right. I know there's a, a two ways of doing it. One is like bringing the sound bed right away. You know, that initial sound bed that's underneath. Sometimes I like to wait until after. I wanna hear the, the, the vocals completely clean, make sure that there's nothing there. Sometimes I'll do it either way. So it can go either way for me. And then I start layering from there. Um, I will probably, do you want me to keep going and how detailed I go, or well, is that? A good I, I want you to define for people. You you mentioned a little bit about it, but what is the what is the action of cleaning lines oh, okay. for people who've never never come uh, across that? A basic. There there can be more detail to it, but the basic process is you do noise removal to remove any ambient hiss or whatever that's in the background of the sound. Get that as clean as possible, but you don't want to take too much out because then you start compromising the actual vocals itself. That's its own kind of art form in a way. It's technical, but there's a certain more intuitive feel that you get to it. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a sweet spot, but I, exactly. I, I call it a sweet spot. Yeah. Exactly. And then um, sometimes people want to do a noise gate to where it's like, I've removed all that, but now I want anything below a certain decibel level to drop down even more and anything above to be kept. Um, then uh, It's almost level. like a water line for people, mm -hmm. right? You know, it's yeah. this line yeah. where any sound below <laughs> will die off yeah. completely. And yeah. of course, there's a problem if you go too far, you start getting people's lines cutting out of various different mm -hmm. or, or syllables and such like that. I'm just trying to add some extra. Yeah, absolutely, over. absolutely. And um, then I'll usually level everything so that everything's at the same vocal levels and play that through. So I've got you know the noise removed, gated any other thing else that maybe I didn't quite catch through the noise removal, leveled everything up and now I listen to it and then maybe do a little EQ of this person was on a different microphone or this voice is a little tinnier here and adjust things that way. And then once I get all the vo vocals sounding like they're in the same place uh, at the same level and placed variously appropriately right, um, I'll then bring in sound effects. Unless there's a lot of dynamic panning in which- Before, we, before we go to that, yep. before we go to that, you said leveling. Do you have mm -hmm. a specific decibel range that you expect uh, voices to be at when you say leveling? Oh. What level? What what number? The, the, are we stand, the standard digital convention, as far as I'm aware, and audio engineers might have more nuance than this. I just sort of like that's the rule, and I'm going to stick with it. Is negative three dB? Um, okay. You don't want that's kind of the the place that you want to master at. You can of course do limiters, and 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 during the mastering process, we'll talk about in our last panel. 
to you know bump up the richness of that. Um, but so I'll usually I've got a there's a plugin called Level Speech in Audacity, which does a really great thing. I usually keep that at 75%. Bump do that twice. You've got something that's really majorly spiked. If you play it, it wouldn't sound good. And at that point, I normalize it to negative three dB. And for me, that keeps enough dynamic range to where you don't want everything to just be a block where everybody is talking like this and there's no dynamics. But it's still within the range to where it's not dropping off to where people are having a hard time hearing. Um, it's kind of my process for cleaning. Okay, good. And and then you say you add in sound effects? It, as best you can. It's like, there'll be times where I'll mix to a certain point and then it's like, now I need to have some walking and I don't know where to place that dialogue until I've got that rhythm right. So it's a little of both of like placing the lines, adding sound effects, adding more sound effects, putting more lines, um, kind of as it needs to go. And each scene is different. So these are rough guidelines that you you throw out the map when the territory shifts. Okay, fair enough. Paul, does Ooh. do most of your actors are they satellite? I think you have a lot of them in sort of house, right? You record sort of in within, or are they people that drop off their lines for you while you're trying to do this? It's kind of it's kind of both. Um, at the very start, um, I'll just preface this by by saying to everyone that like. Our production, our whole thing is, is entirely amateur. Like we kind of we learned as we went. But um the first season of Be Horizon, we all recorded together in the foreign studios in Waterford. So we rented out the studio, recorded um everyone together on three separate mics of varying degrees of quality, which was fun to work with later on. But um basically, yeah, uh, the whole main cast were playing all the roles. Um, my kind of the main guy the, the, who plays Gino Whelan um, his name is Kieran Walsh he's brilliant he's, he's a very good friend of mine we go back a long time but he done so many voices like at one stage we were looking up at him and he was on the microphone and he was he was basically playing three characters at once talking to just talking to himself for an entire scene like it was ridiculous but after season one and the show kind of got out there and I found that I was kind of having more contacts because at the time when we started recording, we had no contacts with the audio drama world. We didn't know anybody in the audio drama world. Um, but as soon as the show got out and we started to be kind of more present online and I started to get to know more people by season two, I was able to kind of start handing out, like being able to provide lines for people in other countries and stuff like that, which was very fun. Um, and then... We're, we're doing season three now and I'd say I, I have a, I was counting the roster of people that I'm able to pull from for season three is about 17 people and only seven of them are going to be are from Waterford the rest of them are all online and Voiders was almost done entirely remotely um because of COVID um, of course but yeah um it's 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 both I, I I love recording in person but again the people that I draw from they're just they're like they're shockingly good and um, all of them are brilliant and um, so i could just send them off the lines and then, then just send them back to me absolutely spot on and they'll even edit them for me and i tell them they don't have to but they'll still do it because they're just so nice and so wonderful and i'm very lucky to have such a great stable of people but uh, yeah to answer your question it's both um, good yeah so and, and i want to hear your process too from the moment that you get the lines handed in to that but before you tell me that process what brings you to audio drama if you didn't know anyone in the community and stuff like that? Was there something that inspired you to create it as an audio drama you're, you're writing? Yeah, um, I, I, I wrote a book. Um, it took me a very long time to write it. I think it took me six or seven years. 
um, I wrote it, I started writing just after I dropped out of college to give me something to do. And the book kind of stayed with me as I, like I dropped out of college when I was 22, 21, 22. And I'm 30 now. So like the book has been like this consistent thing in my life as I went back and re-educated myself or, or got, got a job or moved out and all this stuff, had a family. But the book was always sort of there. But when I finished it, I remember kind of reading it and just going like, I don't think this is good enough. And it's taken so long to make it. And if I try and go back and edit it again, it'll take me the same amount of time. And so I was on the verge of just giving up the whole thing when Quiva, my partner who plays Sonia in the show as well, she was had kind of dipped her toe in audio drama. She had listened to Lion Town and she was listening to stuff like Alba Salix. And she just said, why don't you do um, an audio drama on, on the book? And then at the time I said, I don't think that work because like the book, the characters in the book, none of them are Irish, they're all American. I'd have to try and like, because at the time we were talking, not sure we can get, get our friends to do it. And I was like, I have to try and get all my friends to do American accents. I said it wouldn't work. And it was Quiva, um, I think, I don't know if she's watching, hello, but uh, <laughs> it was Quiva who said, why don't you make the characters Irish? And when she said it first, I was like, no, that, that's, that's ridiculous. You can't have Irish people in space. Like, that's weird. And then, it, it, they were, yeah, I did. It works it anyway. for Doctor and Who, right? They can have does. everybody in the whole universe as an English accent. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I made, we made it. And like, I, I still don't know how it got done. Because again, it's such a hard thing to do. And we went into it blind, basically. And with like the, the most Irish sort of way about it was, Whenever we'd say, okay, how are we going to record it? Asher will be grand. And then when we finally like recorded it, how are we going to edit it? Ah, it'll be grand. We'll get we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. And then we got to the bridge and we said, how are we going to edit it? And then at the time we were thinking about hiring a sound designer, but we didn't know anyone. And we were asking around, you know, a sound designer from Waterford. Obviously, nobody said. No, I don't think anyone would do that. Would edit an entire audio drama for free for you. They're not going to do it. And then I said, Asher, I'll do it myself. And I am notorious in my house for being very bad with technology and getting very cross with technology when technology doesn't do what I want it to do. And Kriva um, said, if you try this, you're going to break the laptop and this isn't going to work. But somehow I managed to restrain myself and I, I designed it by myself. I, Self-taught my self-taught myself to do it using just YouTube and Audacity. Yeah. Wonderful. That's fantastic. So you use Audacity for the for the most part in your editing, and so oh, does Lothar. Yeah. Entirely. Entirely. Yeah, entirely. So, so do you do the same kind of process as he does when you're putting it, this together? Yeah, I'd say it's it's nearly the exact same as Lothar. Um you get I get the stuff. When I get the lines, I'll typically get the entire length of lines from um every episode so say kieran sends me uh i record kieran's lines for an episode i'll get that sound file i'll stick it on an audacity track and then i'll get everyone's every other person every other main character's um track and i'll have it all on one big audacity file and then what i'll start doing i'll go through it from the start and say like the first scene has uh jilly and gino so kieran and, and amy jackman and I'll pick them and I'll just start going through, listening to every single line, picking the one I want. And then I'll, I'll do it's, um, the keyboard command is control I, and it's like putting a line in the track. And for me, that's like my marker. So if I'm looking at the, 
the, the track, I'll be able to see where I am going across the whole board, you know. And then it'll just be what Lothar said and just taking it out, putting it in a new um, audacity file. And then from there, like going line by line by line by line by line, stick and yeah, mix them together, getting the timing right. Because, um, you know, it's, it's one person recording their line and then recording the next line and then recording the next line. So when you're get, getting people who've done it separate from each other, when you put them together, you've got to make sure that it kind of like times up right, you know? Some of the lines are snappy, some of them need delays, some of them are pauses and stuff. So then I'll do Especially that. Especially with and, comedy, right? Especially yeah, with comedy. Yeah, yeah. Timing is so yeah. much a huge yeah. element of it. It's not a yeah. joke that can be either super funny or fall flat can be based upon a second or, mm. or a second release. Um, so I want to talk specifically about, do you guys craft a letter to your actors, giving them specific instructions, instructions when it comes to recording levels, naming conventions, like how you want this file named? and deadlines and how does that kind of letter look because we're dealing with people who again this is not a paid prospect for most people so Lothar you've been doing this longer you're nodding your head vigorously I, can you go yeah. through your letter process yeah I uh, you know started off with a larger production house where we did a lot of auditions and had a lot of cast and everything and it was pretty straightforward here's what you do and it was like here's just the requirements of like please do this many takes um, please submit it in this, you know, file format, uh, this bit rate, uh, all the, all the stuff so that they don't have to worry about any of that. And some people want more, um, complex naming convections. Um, Tanya brought up one in, in the best practices yesterday that was pretty straightforward where anything is probably going to be around the idea of what is the title, what is the character name and who's the actor. So it'd be, uh, show name underscore character name underscore actors initials or something like that. It could be anything like that. And uh, I guess what we all kind of agreed on yesterday is just do whatever the producer wants. Sometimes they'll be very lax of like, however you want to do it, as long as that information is in there is fine. Some might want that specific. It has to be just like that or else they're going to be upset. Um, but so I just send that off to anybody who is new to me, like Jack, you already, I already know what I'm getting from you. You know what I want. I'm not going to insult you by sending you, please send it in 44, 100 and blah, 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 blah. You know what you're going to send me. But if I'm working with someone for the first time or maybe the first few times, I'll send it out as a reminder so they have that information. Right. Is that a good example of something or would you like it to see something different? There's a name. I, I picked Biff Straker, the name of the show. The yeah. character is Biff. The uh, episode is one. Or I mean, the season is one and the episode is three. Would that be uh, a yeah, valuable? Maybe additional at the end, Jack Ward. Jack Ward. Gotta, oh. I got I to gotta know who the actor is. Perfect. That's the Perfect. biggest thing. It's probably like, who is the actor? Because otherwise it's like, uh, yeah, who am I cleaning? Sure. So something like that. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Or something an underscore like or whatever. Yeah. So, I probably wouldn't want the one three. I'd just probably want Biff Strick. Yeah. I mean, however the numbering is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. But as yeah. long as you, I'm just trying to give yeah. up examples yeah. of what Perfect. people could absolutely utilize perfect. for that. Yeah. And so do you take these and put them into like, do you, do you create a session and a folder directly in audacity first for that or do you create the folder beforehand and then use the session afterwards I, I, and I how think, do you, one more quick thing and then you can hit me with all of these uh, and do you have a backup folder for what you've done the day before just in case you've lost stuff with all the files copied over as a backup yep. speak to all of those aspects of directory development and yeah, then i'll go to uh, paul 
I, I, ha I, I have an audio drama production folder. And within that, I have a project folder. And then within that, I might have episodes within that project. Within there, I'll be like, okay, so I'm working on episode one. So I've got there and I've got, okay, now I'm gonna bring in uh, character lines. So I'll have, uh, you know, Biff Straker and whoever else. And I'll bring those lines in there and just drop them in. Then I'll start making like even sound effects libraries and things like that. Then when I uh, launch my Audacity, I will save my file in there. So it'll save everything in there, but I'm coming at that a little bit later. Um, and the script goes in that project uh, folder as well somewhere? It can. Uh, I also have an audio drama folder under my documents. So sometimes I switch back and forth. So I only have, I only have audio production files in the audio production folder. Um, that's also because then I can clean that off. And I do, I have a Mac, so I use Time Machine, uh, which is a really in automated way of backing up your system. Every time I bring something new in or do any editing, I do a backup that day. So I can go back to it in case right. I lose something. Okay, Paul, how's, how does yours work with naming convention and the file structure on your hard drive to set up to be able to do a project? Well, for me, I, I have two main files for you know making the show and stuff. Um, I have the one file is just like for scripts, lines and stuff like that. Um, and then I just have an Audacity folder and that basically has everything in it. And then the way I name it would be say, like the first season of, of Green Horizon is just um, ep one, scene one, you know? That would be the first episode, the first scene. And then once you're going down, season two, ep one, scene three, and all that kind of stuff. That's why I name all that. Um, when I'm getting in lines and stuff, I typically tend to just kind of, um, like I'll take the line in, I'll download it, I'm putting them in. I leave everything in downloads basically um, because but like my laptop is old, it doesn't have a lot of memory, a lot of storage or stuff like that. So if I download something, I, I, won't, I, wouldn't, I don't duplicate it. So I don't put it into another folder. I just leave it all in download. It's a bit, it's a bit um, hectic. Like <laughs> I won't lie, it's not, it's not as say organized as Lothar stuff is. Um, uh, but yeah, so I'll then take the line, say someone sent me in a line for an episode and I'll name it, the name of the character and the name of the episode. And then I'll just, yeah, I'll just import that onto an Audacity file, save the Audacity file. And then typically I'll just delete the, the download thing to save space on the laptop. And normally I'd get the lines in through email anyway. So there's always a duplicate of it through email. So, you know, that's, that's just, that's kind of basically how I do the, the basic stuff. of, of getting Are you using a Mac email. or a Windows uh, computer? It's my parents, they, they gave it to me after the old one blew up. But it's my parents' Acer laptop. I reckon it's it's a it's a good few years old with a very limited storage. So I have to be very um discerning about what I save on it and what I keep Judicial. on it. Otherwise, it just blow up. I highly recommend for people, and I I learned this too late. Um, to John Bell recommended Carbonite. Um, and I I think it's been a a, a thing that saved me. I wish I'd done it beforehand. I lost full script books that I put together for a year and a half completely gone and um carbonite if you install it and you pay for it on a bit of a on a monthly basis any changes you do to a, a file it will save it automatically in the in a cloud kind of thing instantaneously so if you delete a file you can pull it right back down again accidentally so yeah. for for people who have that issue that's that's a really 
key element. Do you then therefore do you end up doing scene by scene and saving those scenes as sessions so that you can bounce them down? Is that how you do it? How much do you tackle every time you start doing a project, Paul? Um, as in like, oh, as in like what would be my, my daily like workload if I was to start on the show like? So like if you're working on something specifically, I'm assuming with your limited space and such like that, and 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 Lothar said in a previous session, he hasn't he only knows Stevie K. Farnaby, who does an entire show all at once to bring it all up. Some people will only work on a particular scene. Do you work on multiple scenes at the same time, or do you have one scene, save that session, get out of it, open up a second scene, do it that way within a show? I try to do a scene every two days when I'm in the middle of like, when the deadline's set, um, when like, you know, if you know what I mean, like when, when the show has a set deadline, when it, when it has to come out at this particular point, so I have to work every day, I'll try and do a scene every two days. So the first day is all um, cleaning the audio and setting the audio and getting the audio all timed and ready. And then once I have that, I'll finish up for the day. And then I'll probably spend the rest of the day planning it in my head. Okay, so I know how it sounds. I know how everyone talks. I know how it's going to go. And on top of that, I'll probably spend all of pre-production, like after I write the scripts and before I can get everybody into record. I'll typically try and pick out all the sound effects or the scenes or the, like, you know, like the, the set pieces is the best way to describe it. Um, I'll have all those prepped and done. So I know what scene they're going to. Like if there's a space chase, I'll have picked out if there's a song that needs to go with it or if there's something that happens, if there's a specific sound effect I need, I'll have already made it or picked it or found it online and have that done. So then coming into the second day of a scene um, and to kind of caveat that if it's a small scene of only a minute between two characters and not a lot happens i would do that in a day but if it's a bigger scene like some scenes have taken me a whole week to do and um, there's a particular scene in voiders the second episode that, that took me a week to actually make because there was just so much that went into it but normally it would take me two days the first day being um the lines and cleaning your lines and getting the lines ready and then the second day is all sound effects and um, layering the scene with background noise and footsteps and just all that stuff. And then just, that'll be it then. It'll just take two days, ideally. So you you clean lines sort of scene by scene. You'll clean, you don't spend all the lines and clean all the lines for the entire show first. You'll just do them a scene first and then another scene. I, I did do that at the start. And I guess I'm a bit, I'm a bit uh, sort of shy from it because um i've done it a few times and it like literally as i said the laptop's old and when you're running um, a noise reduction filter and the scene has like 30 minutes of lines per character multiply that by say six six tracks tracks the the my laptop specifically will chug and it will not be very happy that i've asked it to do it and it has often crashed the whole thing so i just play it safe but what I do is, um, for anyone who doesn't really know how noise reduction works, it's kind of like telling Audacity, these are, this, these are the noises, these are the sounds that I want you to get rid of. So what I typically do is I'll pick one um, instance of dead air during recording where nobody said anything. I'd normally just say to somebody, look, we're going to go quiet for about five seconds. And we're just going to let the mic pick up all the background noise. Um, and then I use that repeatedly for every single 
scene. So I'll tell the computer, find all these noises and cut them out. So the computer will do it for every single scene. So it'll just be consistently the same amount or the same kind of instructions on noise reduction. So it won't sound weird, if you know what I mean. It'll all sound the same. Well, considering your your constraints with your laptop, and I hope the people are listening and can go, do you have a Patreon? They can go and support you to get, to get you a, a, a better machine for that reason. I know I have to update my machine. I, we're all in the same boat at some point. Have you have had a, a time when you've had to even split up a scene and say, I can't edit this entire scene because it takes up too much of my resources. I need to take a look at the scene and break it in half so that I can I can do that later. Have you had that issue in the past? Oh yeah, it's not it's not an issue. Like the laptop would run okay on a scene, say like fourteen minutes. Like there's one particular scene in Green Horizon season two. It's the second episode, and there's one scene that I think is about twelve minutes long, and the laptop runs fine when you put it all together. But there was so much in it because there was like there was scenes within scenes as well, like characters going into um a room in the room like basically the whole setup was there in this room having dinner and two of the main characters go into a small um kind of like water closet um boiler room in the scene so they have to go into that so that's still a part of that scene but it's removed from it so i had to obviously like i had to make that its own scene and then chop it all together um but i had to do that for the third episode of season two as well but um, yeah, no, it's just for the big, massive tracks that the laptop tends to, you know, not be very happy about. That's fair enough. And I, for my own part, I want to just, I know you've, you've expressed that you're a fairly new editor in this kind of thing. I, I would, and I know you could speak for yourself, Lothar, but Lothar's helped so many other people working with Audacity. He's a bit of a master at it after 11 years of working with this. So he might have some neat, neat shortcuts that you could be able to, that he's learned from trial and error himself as time goes by. Well, and, vice versa. Uh, That's the great thing about Audacity. He might know something that he's tried out that I don't, I have no idea, but it's, it's sure. a great tool. That way. <laughs> exactly. Is, yeah. Very, very helpful. So do you have resource issues when you come to work on this as well? Uh, is there a hard sort of limit when you're trying to put together stuff Lothar of working with too yeah. much at the um, same time? I don't want to work more than one scene for a couple of reasons, just because one, I'm thinking about the scene and I've already yeah. to give a little preamble um, before I even start working on the scenes, I have a rough idea of how I want the transitions between scenes to work, how that's going to fit in with the style and aesthetics of the entire show. So I can work on that as I'm doing it. And I know what is going on and that's fine. I can now have it be scene by scene uh, to clarify something from earlier. When I talked about cleaning lines, I do clean the entire episode of a character's lines at once. Um, because just like Paul was saying, you know, Jack, if I give you a script, you're going to send me all the lines for that character for the entire script for the whole show. Why I'm just, it, since my laptop can handle it, I'm going to use, I'm going to do all your line cleaning all at once, do all of that noise removal, gating, leveling. And then when I do the scene by scene, that's when I pick the takes because now I want to hear how everybody plays off each other. And I'm doing that one scene by scene. So I clean for the entire episode for a character and then I do take selection scene by scene and placement scene by scene. So when when you do uh, scene selection and cutting the various different stuff out of the scene, 
it was mentioned before and uh, that audacity is destructive in that way so it's going to be saving when you shut down that session yeah. it's going to be saving the mp3 or the wave no, file no, no what it means is that you can't undo you, okay. you don't have an unlimited amount of undos okay so let's say i'm working on it and i go yeah i'm doing really great i love this and i save it and then i wake up at 3 a.m going oh god what did i do i want to go back i can't load it up again and go undo 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 gotcha so saving different versions, being really sure. Uh, another thing that I'll do is um, make copies of tracks if I'm not sure. So let's say I've got one track of a character and what they're doing, and I wanna play something else on their vocal effects. Well, I'll make a duplicate of that, mute one of those tracks, do some effects on it. If that turns out not to work, I can scrap it, unmute. I've still got my original track right there. So there's ways you can work around it as long as you know that that is one of the consequences of working with this program. Right. And I have a comment from Sarah Golding here where she says, I dip from Audacity to Reaper as I love the non-destructive of Reaper more, but the spectral edit on Audacity has changed my life and the quality of the recordings too. Doing a mini workshop as part of the dashingly quirky fundraisers that I want to share with the newer to audio folks who might not have found it yet. So what's what oh, yeah. you mean by spectral edit? Do you know about that? I'm not exactly sure what she means by that. I would love to hear more about that. Maybe I know what it is, maybe I don't, but I'm not sure. The way it's described in one way or another. Do you know what she means I by mean, spectral edit at all, Paul? No, actually, I'm not. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm very curious to see what, I, well, maybe what that is. Maybe she'll type some more. Let's hope so, yeah. as this is a learning That's opportunity. That's cool. Very cool stuff. So yeah. <clears throat> oh, and when something we're I will say about Audacity just as, if you can learn the keystrokes, because there's a lot of hotkeys and short things, like you can go up to the effects menu, just click on the effects menu, start typing, it'll bring you down to right. what you've typed in so you don't have to scroll through the whole menu. I saw one person going, I hate it, I've got 40 plugins and it takes me forever to get there. We'll just click the first three keywords and it'll take you right to it. There's a lot of little hidden tips like that. And there's there's plugins or VST plugins that come with Audacity to a certain degree that help you with certain things. There's some built-in ones, and then you can bring in Nyquist, you can bring in VSTs, a few others that I'm forgetting off the top of my head that I've got on a list. And and you just bought one that maybe you want to share again with this. To oh, um, based on all the recommendations yesterday, I bought Isotope RX-8 since it's on sale right now. And it probably won't work with Audacity from what I hear because of the 64-bit aspect, but it launches in its own editor. And I'm going to play around with the... Uh, the, the line cleaning for that. Um, everybody's just been saying it's amazing. So I'm going to put it through its paces. Right. Because the more you can save time doing all of this. And increase better, quality. And, and increase quality, for sure. So that brings us to time expectations. What are some time expectations that people have when it comes to how to structure this and how to work with these files as a, as a post-production person. What, what, what do you find, Paul? Let's go back to you again quickly. What do you find time-wise uh, this takes? You said it takes you about a day per scene? Yeah, yeah, roughly a day per scene. So like that's the, as I said, that's in an ideal world where I'm able to work every single day, um, which again, because it's, a, it's an amateur production and stuff like that, I, I typically don't. Um, when I'm working nonstop, as I said before, I work great when I have a deadline, but when I'm um, when I don't have the deadline set yet, like you know, you you'll take the odd day off and all that kind of stuff, you know. Like life just doesn't let you do it. Um, but say roughly an episode would take me between three weeks and a month. The 
first episode of the first season because I was training myself as I was making. It took me six weeks. Um, and then the last episode of season two, because um, it was so long, I think it, it, it topped out nearly at an hour by the time I'd finished it. That took me a month. Um, but say, for instance, the shorter episodes of Voiders, um, I was able to get them done quicker. Um, and the way I structure it is uh, I started out releasing them on Sundays. I don't know why I had it in my head <laughs> with season one of Green Horizon to do release them on Sundays because everyone's off Sunday. No one's working. Everyone will listen to it. But the best day to release, I find, is Wednesday. I started releasing them on Wednesdays, uh, starting from Voiders. And I saw a, a big change in like initial listeners. I don't know whether or not it could also be because there's more people listening now happily but um i think as well it's because for some i've seen it being mentioned before wednesday is a great day to release it um but yeah i and as well as that i'll typically pick a date when i can see the end of the season in sight so for season one when i was halfway through episode five i said i i know i'll be done this in about a month and a half and that's when i said i'll schedule it for this date to release it but as i said between two three four weeks average it's a big average i know it's a big uh, it's a big range of time but that's how long it takes per episode to make one but that's wow. not including scheduling like writing the script takes me about three weeks if like the six episodes for season three took me three weeks um wow. it's organizing and again because of covid i haven't really gotten the chance to see what it's really like um being able to bring people uh, the main cast in straight away and all of Scripts are done. Come in when you want to record. Because of COVID, I haven't had that chance. So um, we'll say, I'd say season three will take me a year to make. But most of that is just delays. But once everybody's in and recording, I'd say I'd have the six episodes done in just under five months, I'd say. That's how long it'll take me. Okay. Um, the, the wisdom, general wisdom used to be one minute equals one hour. Do you find that that's the case for you, Lothar? Like, how long does it take you? What are some recommendations yeah. for folks on that? Um, to be really clear, depending on how you look at it, I'm a fast worker and slow as molasses at the same time. I, as Jack knows, I got lots of things going on in my life. I got extra projects going on. I'm trying to juggle it all in a family and I work at a um, hospital in IT. And since COVID hit, I've had even less time because we've been busier doing support for all that. So a lot of times my, I've got nine, 10 hour days. I used to do all of my mixing on my lunch break. So I would do an hour a day of mixing. Maybe I would get up early, but I'd at least spend my, my lunch break mixing. And so it would take a while. I could do a lot in that one hour, but it would be a chunk of hours. And that's one of the reasons why my productions are so slow to come out. Um, yeah, it's about, it's about the one hour per minute of audio, except there are certain times where this scene is really minimal. So I can do it and, you know, uh, half that time and then there's times where this scene needs a whole lot and there's there and it's going to take me three hours for one minute of audio for that four minute scene or whatever it really depends but yeah that is still in my in my experience a good guesstimate so here's the weird thing we have better tools now to to hasten the time but it seems to still take just as long for people to put stuff together because i remember it would be the same back in the day with the, like the stone knives and bear clubs but is it not is it about the fact that things have a better sound now? It's it, it, the, the time, I, I guess I'm not including the time of like, oh, okay, it's sitting there for 30 seconds doing noise removal as opposed to five seconds for noise removal. It's the placement. 
Um, just because I can cut and paste, I still have to take the time. Does this sound good? Am I tweaking it here? Am I bringing that stuff in? It's really not the technological constraints that keep the time for me, at least. It's the, it's the artistry. Gotcha. Okay. And Sarah has added to us. Thank you, Sarah. She says, yes, it's editing the view of the sound wave in all its frequencies oh, yeah. as a kind of colored representation. And so, for example, you can cut out the horrible mastication sounds uh, we sometimes make and the detail of how the sound is represented is more focused. It is in the menu to the right of the label on the left of your file. If you select multi-view, you can see the sound wave and the spectrum of the sound. I'll ping you a pic. Oh, that sounds cool. I'll have to give that a shot. Very cool. This is what I love about this community is we get a chance so to cool. share stuff with each other for those kind of reasons, which is good. <laughs> what helps on top of everything when it comes to structuring this from your actors to your directors to your writers what helps you as a post-production person most? If they're going to send you a file, if they're going to provide directions for people, if they're going to do stuff, what lessens your length of time of getting this stuff done? Go ahead, Lothar. Can you reward that, please? If I can reward it. So, I'll give you one example. Um, it was brought up that when you record, if you tell people, and this was from uh, Kareem Cronfley, if he records a leader of no sound whatsoever, oh, so he oh, has gotcha. room tone right away. Right. Well, that obviously helps oh, out a post-production yeah. person if they have yeah. room tone. Uh, and I, I know all that, but I don't think to do that, right? So if yeah. these are part of instructions that you can do to help mm -hmm. cut your time, what are some of the things? And it could be instructions for a director, for a writer, or for an actor, any of those things. I guess the uh, the two things that I would reiterate, because we've talked about this before, is exactly what you're just saying of like five seconds of silence from your own room tone before you start saying, hi, this is Lothar Tuppen providing lines for such and such and go into it or however you're going to however you're going to do it. Um, some spaces between takes so that you're not going, hi, this is my line. Hi, this is my line. Hi, this is my line. Give a couple little some more gaps in there. Also, uh, what we were talking about yesterday with Kareem is before you give your line, do your in-breath. And after you've holded it and, and held it and kept a, a little bit of a break there, then deliver your line because it makes it easier for the post-production person to grab your line separate from that intake of breath that they probably don't want in their production. Yeah. If I think Great. of anything else, I'll let you know. That's, um, those are good for acting tips for sure. Yes. And I, I write and produce my own, so I don't have anything to give them for advice. Gotcha. Um, multiples, multiple takes, obviously, is an obvious one, but um, it does, it, it helps so much. Um, specifically, between two and three, um, I, like, I don't ask for, I just say, look, just, just give me a few takes, but I won't say give me, give me two or give me three. I'll just, I, I, I just let them kind of come to their own um, decision on how many they want to give. But multiple takes just go so, go a long way, Specific, especially when you're listening to like their lines and you're going through it and you hear the first take and you go, oh, that didn't come out right, Do you know? And instead of having to go back and say, hey, come here, this line wasn't the way the intonation isn't right or whatever, would you mind saying it again? Or there was a noise in the background or something, Do you know? And um, just having multiple takes of a line just is just, it's a dream. I, 
makes me very happy when I when I get that sound file and I look at it on, on Audacity and I can see a very similar sounds in trees. And I'm like, yep, this person sent me a lot of the same line over and over again. So that goes a, a very long way in helping uh, in the audio process. And both of you are doing the writing. And so you're also doing the casting and you're also doing the directing. Um, I don't know if you've worked, Paul, with other people's works at this point to do somebody else's script or any of that kind of stuff. I know Lothar can speak to that as well. Does it slow the process down significantly when you have to work with someone else, Lothar? Not significantly, maybe a little bit to get in the groove of it. Um, it might slow it down a little bit in the fact that I don't like it for to do that for the most part. It's a lot of work to mix. I enjoy it, but I've only got a limited amount of time and a limited amount of projects. So I pick very judiciously what I want to do, mainly because if I'm not enthusiastic, I'm not going to do good work and they deserve someone better uh, for that role. Um, it, it just a little bit. There was a couple ones I did for um, uh, Mark Slade that he was having on his um, Blood Noir podcast. And they weren't even written by him. So I'd have to ask him some questions about the story. He'd ask the author, they'd get back, they'd clarify it. I'd figure out my way into it. So other than those sorts of things, not really. Once I, once I get a very good, clear view about it, um, it, it moves just as easily. Very cool. Paul, have you worked with other people and, and other scripts? Uh, does that slow things down for you? No. Um, like as like with the Green Horizon, it's all, I, I, apart from the, the lines and stuff, I do all the other stuff. And any other shows, really, all I've done are small lines for them. I, I haven't done... I haven't sound edited for anybody else to show because I know myself, I am very, very, very one track minded. I have a very set view on what I want to get done. Um, and so I know that if, and it's like what Lothar said, I, I, I'm not in a position, I don't have the time to really take on any more audio work unless I wanted to pursue it maybe as, as a career far down the line. But at the moment, I've really only got enough um, time and effort to design um, or to sound design the Green Horizon Avoiders. Um, but I love, I've gotten a lot of, um, not a lot, like I've gotten a few um, lines to do characters in other shows. And for whatever reason, and I love it, I keep getting cast as a, like a surly 50-year-old Irish publican. So somebody, <laughs> somebody, who, somebody who runs a pub or somebody who is just generally slurring their words constantly. I played a publican in... in Played an Irish landlord, an Irish publican, and an Irish soldier, but they were they were all a little bit surly in their own way. So I don't know. I, I have fun doing it. I, I love doing um small big parts like that. Oh, so you enjoy doing some some acting on top of things as well. Yeah. Um. So and and have you learned anything from how you do your productions based upon what other people's expectations are from other uh shows? Have they? either reinforce things that you've done or given you different ideas? They're giving me different ideas. Um, I definitely think listening to the shows have been up my game with the sound design. When I came into it, for me, the sound design aspect of it was just the thing that needs to get done. You know what I mean? It, it needs to just be there. The, the lines of what are the important parts, you know? But having listened to other shows, um, and I just want to give a shout out to my friend, uh, Kai Pritchard, he does Chain of Being. And his soundscape and his atmosphere, the way he does it, is it's 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 so good. So when I'm trying to do scenes that are a bit eerie, I'll always sort of try and kind of go, okay, well, 
how would somebody like Kai approach this? Would they make it? Would they? What kind of sounds would you do for that? Or um, other kind of shows um, that that take like do do tension well or do background music very well and stuff like that. Because as I said, with season one, I was just trying to get it done, but then I sort of start to really enjoy it and then listen to other shows. I was like, I could make sound design like just as entertaining as the lines and the script and the story are. Um, so yeah. To answer your question, I, I draw a lot of inspiration from other shows, particular shows that are from people that I know or I would have, I would have become familiar with. In the other yeah, well, you just movie. mentioned one, and we have a moment. I was going to ask you what your major influences are, and they don't have to be audio drama, but do you, do you count specific, like, literary influences or television or video influences? When you're putting your stuff together, um, so many people of... Uh, uh, have either decided that their audio drama is going to be um, focused almost like theater of the air, you know, st on stage audio drama, or they look to old time radio or the golden age of radio drama as their source. I call these the sources. And then a lot of people nowadays look to film because they've grown up with a lot of cinema cinematographic elements. So film could be their source for audio drama mm -hmm. or the, this more version, a uh, modern version, which I call YouTube confessional. It's kind of like an NPR where you got one person sitting in front of the, of their microphone saying, let me tell you about this creepy story. And, and they're almost narrating their own story and bringing people into the studio to, to talk about the stuff that's going on. You see that on things like black tapes and tennis and stuff like that. What are some of your sources and what are some of your influences? Well, if anyone's, anyone who's listened to the show has always said it's Firefly with Irish people. So, so that's my, that's my, it, it actually, like the thing is, it, it, it does influence, the Firefly does influence the, the show, but it's not my, my biggest influence. It's definitely there. Um, the world building is definitely influenced from the likes of Tolkien. And I actually wrote about this, but my biggest influence, surprisingly enough, is a game. It's a, uh, have you ever played Fallout New Vegas? Ever yes. Played that? For yeah, sure. That's probably, that's probably my biggest influence is just the way that the comedy, the, the subtle comedy of it, the, the factions, the world building, the lore, the backstory, however, everything comes together and the game is still fun and you can have, like, you can have fun with the game. It's not just all drab and dreary. And that's something that I tried to bring across with the show. But and like you said, in terms of how the show is meant to come across, I always ca I came into it always thinking that, that it should be like a TV show with your eyes closed. That's how I wanted the show to sound. But as I was saying earlier, kind of getting to grips with sound design and realizing that it doesn't just have to just be there. It can be more than that. I'm trying to kind of find that lovely like sweet spot between it sounding like a TV show, but also sounding like it's designed to be in this in the audio drama medium you know what i mean absolutely and i want to come back to that particular conversation but let's go with lothar can you t explain to people what some of your influences are and, and and both through the audio drama world and outside of that as well that makes what you do what you do and what you're trying to accomplish um my most direct influences other than i mean we have the inspiration of old time radio that what made me fall in love with the audio medium i don't do a lot of that style and except for when we're doing our recreations and th things like that so my direct influences on my own personal style come from anything that has caused me to have an emotional frisson that really works so that could be everything from uh, like we were talking about earlier i was inspired um by mobius's uh comics and uh comic strips in heavy metal magazine 
and think, how can I do that kind of visual, what I'm getting off the visuals with that, how can I do that with an audio soundscape? Um, same sort of thing with the, the stories there was inspired a lot by the prose of Clark Ashton Smith. But again, I'm doing drama with dialogue. How do I get a similar feel that way? So a lot of times I'll watch movies um, where I'll see an interesting color palette. How do I do something similar in audio? Uh, things like that can be really very powerful and influential. So I really love seeing other mediums and going, I want to try and see how can I, how can I apply that to audio? How can I do something like that? How can I push the boundaries of being as visual in an auditory medium as possible. And that's the, the next topic I want to talk about when we're breaking this stuff down. How does one go about telling story in audio through the use of sound effectively? There are people who say on one hand, it has to be a story that can be told in audio drama. And then there are people on the other hand, I think Bill Hollywood was in this in this camp where he said every story could be told as an audio drama story. It's just a matter of what your approach is. So what are some of the things that are necessary when you're breaking this down from the perspective of a, of a post-production person saying, how do I use perspective? How do I use the tools of audio to be able to paint this in such a way that it's uniquely an audio drama. That's a huge thing I know I'm asking, but I think it's something people could know about. Lothar, what do you think? Um, I think anything can be told in any medium if the right skill set and the right understanding is brought to it. Um, to a certain degree, I'll fall back on my oral storytelling thing where, you know, a lot of us that tell traditional stories, we're going to tell that same Grimm's, you know, Little Briar Rose but each person makes it their own and, and uses their max their skill set. That isn't that much different from saying, okay, here's something maybe um, that, well, obviously I can't tell if it doesn't have any dialogue, if it's like a, a silent thing in a visual medium, maybe I'll have to do some really major adaptation or maybe that's not a good one to do, but those are really extreme. It's, um, I think just saying, okay, where, what are the limitations of both? I think understanding all the mediums that you're trying to adapt so if you're taking something that you would originally see as a film, understand a little bit of film theory and why they're doing certain things and say, what is the import, what is the purpose of this that they're doing in visual? What similar thing with a similar purpose can I use in audio? Not trying to say the visual into the, you know, the, that sim, just pull a sound effect of the car to make it seem like the car's there. What is it really trying to do? And adapt that way. Adapt uh, thematically and stylistically as well as the story literally and line by line. I think you bring up a good point that people should be really trying to uh, understand story in, in cross medium forms to see where the limitations are of each of those mediums and where they can be brought forward in an audio drama. I remember I've done a couple of adaptations of comic books for, for colonial radio theater throughout some of the years. And, and I think it was, I think it was Jerry Robbins who said, that doing an adaptation of a book into an audio is kind of like ripping all the pages out of the book, uh, having the cover right there and then pasting in various different, because you want, like, what are the most important scenes that people will expect that have come from the book? Because you can't do word for word, the same book in an audio drama. It's the same way as trying to do, you know, Tolkien in television, even if you've got 15 hours to do them or in movie, I should say, it's got 15 hours to do the movies. Um, you're still going to miss some stuff. There's still, it's, it's so rich and involved. So here's a really, here's a really good point. And then I'll, then I'll shut up and let uh, Paul talk is 
there's a number of literary authors that think that The Great Gatsby is one of the most amazing novels in the world. Almost all of them that really understand what the craft of the style of how he told that story hate all of the film adaptations because what the film adaptations don't get from their point of view, and I happen to agree with it, is it's not about the plot. It's about the way the story was told. The way that particular story was told was for prose in a novelistic form. Right. That story could be told, but maybe it won't be The Great Gatsby anymore. It'd be like, what are you trying to say? What is this talking about? What type of character is it talking about? How can we maybe do a story that's inspired by that? But are you going to do a straight adaptation? Lovecraft is another one that's really hard to do. Um, being aware of those limitations, saying, why, why am I trying to get this square peg in this round hole? Why don't I do something different? Right. By the way, Gatsby is public domain right now, as of think this year, for that reason. Paul, what's your answer to this question? What makes an effective audio story? Can you adapt anything into audio drama? I definitely think you can. I just, yeah, I just think you need to, you, basically, like for me, it starts off from the script and you need to know from the start what's going where. Um, I remember there was a great uh, quote saying, um, one of the pitfalls of audio drama is I'm going to shoot you with this gun right here. And it's like, um, you know, it's like basic 101. So instead of that, you got to find your workarounds. Basically, you got to work around a lot of stuff. So like for my show, it's, it's completely original written for audio drama. But when I wrote it, I didn't plan on doing the sound design because naively I thought I'd just get someone to do it. So I didn't really write for how I'd sound design it if I was to sound design it. So coming into it, it was a lot of kind of um, going, okay, I have this scene here and I haven't put in any way, any prompts. How do I sound design this thing? How do I look at it? And a lot of it is trying to just find, find sounds that explain the scene. And I was definitely guilty, especially in season one, of over sound designing when it wasn't necessary, like putting in, like thinking, oh, this scene, like there's one particular scene that if I could go back, I'd change it. And it's when Gino start, uh, takes out a lighter and smokes a cigarette. And at the time I thought it sounded good, but listening back now, it's one of the examples of what I would say is kind of overdoing it, where that didn't need to happen. So I think striking the balance between too little sound design and too much, just that little, that middle ground where you're you're able to follow what's happening in the scene. The dialogue doesn't have to tell you exactly what is happening, but it does help to try and make make it organically. So like have a reaction, like if somebody pulls a gun, have a, like find your, your, your the sound of a gun the whole string, the gun cocking, but maybe get something like somebody gasping, like or just something. Have make sure reactions are there for sound effects that are happening for action scenes, for everything. Um, and specifically stuff like footsteps, make sure footsteps sound good. Um, for me, footsteps are the hardest thing to get right. But I think if you just have your, your basic sound level, sound effects there and you have a good narrative and a good idea of where the story is going, you can definitely fit good sound design around it. And as well as that, you kind of have to know what, what you're doing as well, basically. Yeah, I think it was uh, Groucho Marx said, why does everybody in radio drama sound like they're wearing wooden shoes? <laughs> so, um, but Tanya Malevich is one of my favorite actresses. And one of the reasons why it, beyond her voluminous ability is she adds in sort of nonverbal sounds 
to be able to add so that you don't get this ping pong kind of conversation where you say your lines, then you say your lines. She's reacting to various things. So as she's reading through, she might have, hmm, you know, stuff like little things that you could mm -hmm. throw in, which sound more, you know, natural in the, in the respect of that kind of thing. So when you're layering your production and when you're structuring your production, as we're trying to maintain with this theme, do you find that reactions are so important in the layers of the conversation? Do you have to find stuff to create reactions that your actors haven't provided? Paul, first and then back to Lothar. Yeah, definitely. Um, I am probably guilty of put, doing too much kind of ping pong style. Somebody says a line, the next person says the line. Um, and again, like that's, it's a process. I definitely need to kind of learn as I go kind of thing. But anytime, and it's normally by accident. So like a lot of time I'll go through outtakes or just like just listen to somebody and waiting for them to either sigh just as they're doing their lines or like laugh like in one scene the I, I don't know if it's as applicable to what you're saying but two of the main characters are having an argument in I was talking about earlier they're in a, like a closet and they're having like an argument but when I did it I realized you could still hear the other characters outside of the closet but I didn't write anything for it. So what am I going to do? I, it's just going to sound like they've all gone totally silent outside. So what I actually did was I took all of their outtakes and then reduced the, um, de-amplified it and then put a muffle on it, like a low-pass filter, which is, makes it sound all muffled. And while the two main characters are talking in the closet, you can hear everybody else and you can't hear exactly what they're saying, but you can tell who's who. But what they're actually saying our lines that they made a mistake on. So it's just it's just stuff like that. But that's what I was saying. You gotta kind of roll with the punches a bit and you're not always gonna get everything right. When you write the scripts, you're gonna make mistakes or when you record it, you're gonna make mistakes. You're not gonna pick up on, but it's when you're into the post-production phase, you have to be able to be um, um, sort of have ingenuity and be able to work around it. Um, so yeah, that's basically it. I should write more reactions and stuff like that. And I definitely plan on doing it in the future. Um, yeah. That's it. Good. Well, and, and Lothar, I'd want to hear your thoughts about it because human beings interrupt each other all the time. Yes. You know what I mean? And that, that's not often identified in audio drama. What do you do to help mitigate these issues of unrealistic dialogue that way? Uh, this was actually, and I will give a shout out to R. Francis Smith, who was the person who trained me at the first company that I worked for. Russ was great. He was the one that was most focused, not on rich soundscapes, but does everybody sound the same? Like they're in the same room and is the timing right? And people do step on each other's lines. So you overlap it. You make them step on each other's lines in the editing process. You make it sound normal. Um, during the, this again gets back to when we were talking about uh, putting in production notes so that the actors can get a full feel of the way you want the story to be told. I will put in there specifically sometimes like I want some reactions in here, some size, something like that. And please, you know, give me that after that line. There's other times because of that, and especially for people like Tanya and Jeff and other people that I've worked with, Bill was great at this. Bill was absolutely man, mag magical about it. They will automatically- Bill Hallwig for those people. Bill Hallwig, yeah. yeah. Bill, there was a scene where he's on horseback and he's giving me yeehaws and you know doing stuff and he's just like adding in there and it's like oh my god I, I'm on the back of the horse with you right now just listening to your your takes raw, um, 
that's great. And the more that you can help that out either by cluing them in by having it directly in the script or giving it enough context to where their creativity is like, yeah, absolutely, that's the perfect reaction here. And then when people give you lots of reactions, then you've got lots of extra things in your bucket to say, oh, there's a little thing I have to add here. Kind of like what Paul was talking about with those outtakes, which I've done that as well. That's you know a brilliant thing to do. And it's like, yeah, you got extra vocals. Something that uh, Josh Price uses um, over at Lightning Bolt Theater of the Mind that I think is brilliant is that he'll use stuff from other productions to be like Walla. He's got all those saved and that might make, you know, those are made lines and something else, but that can now be part of a background scene. Those are in your toolbox as well, as long as the actors are cool with it. Right. No, that's fantastic. And I, I know we're going to get into soundscape in the next session. Um, a lot more folks are doing requests for lists of things like give me 10 burps, 15 gasps, some laughs <laughs> yes. and so on from Sarah Golding. Yeah, there's a lot of people asking for Walla, right? So you'll see that show up in various different social media. Could you please record, you know, you're, you are mingling in a bar, you know, I mean, stuff like that. Um, and, I, and Soundscape is coming up in less than half an hour and they'll talk, into, I hope, into much more of the details. I think you're leading that one, Lothar. Yeah, it's actually at, uh, well, 11.45 Pacific, whatever that translates into Eastern. So just Great. about 40 minutes from now. 40 minutes from now. Thank you so much. And I know I, you'll get into the details of, of creating those aspects of the sound effects, but I'm still interested in the structure side of things. When you structure your directory for sound effects, is that outside of your production folder? And do you keep like a universal sound effects uh, library that you put together? And how do you structure your sound effects? And what do you use? These are all huge questions. So I'll let you start again, Lothar, since you ended it. Um, I have one big file of uh, sound effects that I then keep subfiles in. And I try and keep those all available on my main hard drive because I will need access to it. That doesn't work all the time. But I do, I try and select as many sound effects that I know I'm going to need ahead of time, at least a bunch of them. I, I don't have a big database like you do. I just have naming conventions to where I can do a search in my search field of like, uh, you know, fire axe breaking door and see 30 things that might be there. Grab the five that I know probably are going to be there and stick it in there. Because the biggest problem for me is when I'm doing production, I want to keep the flow going. So if I can find a sound effect quickly, place it in, I can keep the editing. It's when I didn't do that planning ahead of time, or I've gotten to somewhere, where, oh, I need that sound effect that I didn't anticipate. This is gonna make it great. Now I've got to break it. Now I've got to try and find it, isolate the right one. Maybe I have to go onto free sound or you know, pond five or something, get it. Now I've broken the rhythm of the editing. So it's easier for me to keep things flowing if I get the sound effects, at least not, if not the bullseye, the target of here's, one of these five are probably gonna be the right sound effect. I'll put that in a folder for the scene. And then I can select from those five instead of 40,000 and try and isolate it down to what it needs to be. Cool. I want you to, to, to lead people to, to talk about creating sound effects next time specifically, because I, I need, I want to create original sound effects for science fiction stuff for my fifth striker. So I want, I want people to, to, to come up with some ideas for that, but back to you, Paul, what do you do for us for a directory of setting up your sound effects? I know you have such limited space, do you have do you do you keep a repository somewhere in the cloud or what do you do? Uh, well, for for me, I use I solely use FreeSound for all of my sound effects. I might sometimes use FreeSFX if I don't find what I'm looking for, but like that's very rarely happened. So for me, I have an account. It's on Free. It's on FreeSounds. 
And so I know for a fact that somewhere in all those sounds I downloaded is the thing that I'm looking for. So like, that's kind of like my backup. So what I do then is I'll typically go, I'll download it and I leave it in my downloads because I don't use this laptop for anything really other than online and the show, that's it. So I wouldn't be down, I wouldn't be downloading anything really apart from the sound effects. So then what I do is if it's say the sound of a squeaky chair, I'll typically go noun. So what is the thing? Is it a gun? Is it a chair? Is it um, a person? Is it, you know what I mean? Is it something like that? And then I'll do the verb. So I'll have, I'll go down alphabetically in my downloads and I'll go, okay, so I need the sound of a gun holster. So I'll go da -da 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 -da, down to G, gun holster, there it is. Um, and it, it, for me, I didn't do it on my old laptop. I was a bit more, because as, as I said previously, my first laptop for season one broke. Um, so I lost all the sound effects there. Um, no. So I did, <laughs> but back then I didn't. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't, wasn't as organized as I am now. They're all kind of hodgepodge and just random names and stuff. And it made, it made it really fun. I, I had to memorize where, if I, if I was using the same sound effect, so say something like a gunshot. And I was like, oh, sure, there's a gunshot ready in the show. I can just reuse that one. So I'd have all the scenes memorized where all the sound effects were because it was just such an effort to go into downloads and try and find where it is or go onto free sounds and re-download it again and take up more space. So I kind of learned my lesson there. So when I got a new laptop, I was like, okay, fresh start. We're going to be organized about this and we're going to name them all right. But somehow it's happened again. And I have a load of ones in my downloads folder that are now all messed up and I have to go, I just, I know I have to just spend the day fixing them. But um, yeah, that's what I do. And then it's kind of like what Lothar said, I try and have as much done beforehand because it's very, very hard to build a scene up from scratch. So if it's something like, um, if they're going onto a new, new ship, I'll try and like, I'll try and have the, the sound of the engine and I'll have, because of like, you know, the, were the aerial geography of it like you know when you're a listener you need to know where you are like with the ship for instance that when the characters are walking and they're in the kitchen the sound is floorboards because in my head the the kitchen is like a staff room that you'd find in any irish shop and it's got these rickety floorboards and there's presses and kettles and then when they're in the cargo hold um the sounds concrete and then when they're in the cockpit the sound is like a metal grate so it's like your aerial geography but you have to do that for every location in the show and you have to start with footsteps and background noise so i try and have that done well in advance before i'm actually getting to it because otherwise then it's just extra time and if you're working towards the schedule spending an extra day trying to build the soundscape because you didn't do it in all those spare days you had beforehand it's just not ideal so there's a process of of gathering the stuff of placing the stuff and of properly uh, um, mixing the stuff in such a way that that you know panning and all that kind of stuff. These are all layers required to be able to do that. And if you're desperately looking now, I'm sure there are times it comes up where you think you have all the sound effects, and then you go, "This is not where I need it to be. I, I need something else." And you have to go back to the drawing board and thinking. And, and like you said, that will slow down the process. Rothar, do you have an example of that? Well, it, yeah, and it very much uh, feels like uh, the analogy of let's say you're going to do some work on something at the back of your house. So, you know, okay, I'm going to do this. So you've got your, you pull out your, your drill and you pull out some screwdrivers and you get back there and you're back there and you're like, 
oh no, I need this other sauce. You gotta stop what you're doing, go into your garage, find out from your toolbox, walk back. You find out you need something else and you keep not having it. It's that, it's that kind of frustration. Mm. Um, a lot of times for me, it's, oh, this isn't like, let's say I'm doing a car scene. So I've got certain car sounds and I've already got that there and I got my tire squealing and, but it's just not working and I've got to do something else in the soundscape. Uh, none of those car sounds are working. I thought I had them all, but no, I didn't anticipate it sounding like this. Now I got to get online and do it again. And I bought these from Saunas. I'm going to have to look for another pack. And then I've spent half an hour purchasing and downloading sound effects. And where the heck was I? Yeah, for sure. And I would say uh, for anybody who has not looked at Freesound in a number of years, because when Freesound was first starting, when, when back in like 2011, 2010, when I first was aware of it there was a lot less on there there's a lot more on there now like any crowdsourced thing the more people use it the better it's going to be there's a lot better sounds now than there were 10 years ago yeah i i went back recently to for that same reason to to discover that i'm going to uh share with you guys just because i i am now infamous within my the, my a small circle for being the database guy <laughs> and the organized guy so i will share with you all uh, what I have and how I structure my sound effects. Um, so just we're, we're all, by the way, we're into the last half hour. So if people have um, questions, by all means, please put them in. So here is, I can, I can collect, I'm just going to go from this one now. Let's start off with, oh, wait a minute. So do you see my sound effects uh, folder there? Okay. So this is my sound effects folder and I, I wanted to put things into categories because I found them more interesting. So if I, for example, have ambiance, I've got all these various different ambiance ones, right? Including uh, like jungle environments and, and, and all that. So I try to take care. So I look for ambience in that way. If I have animals, I've got everything, including domesticated animals and, 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 and plant animals, which is interesting, and birds. And so anytime I find these, many of these I've bought, many of these I've gotten from free sound stuff. So I've got a variety of there. If I look down here, one of the ones I use an awful lot is mechanical. So sometimes I'm looking for a light switch and a light switch doesn't sound like what a light switch should. So it sounds more like you know, a power box switch or something like that. So I've got to find that. And I've been using a lot of things like um, elevator sounds more recently. And there's Reaper sort of identifying that I'm using the elevator doors for a, a Sunday showcase when David wants to go down to stuff. So there's a bunch of stuff. And some of my favorite ones are things like sci-fi, right? So I'll find sound effects from classic shows and there's a whole bunch from Babylon 5 and I can go through them and utilize them. And the more organized I get, the easier it is. Another big one I have is combat, right? So I can look at blades and I can go as, as close to blades as I want and blunt stuff, impacts and explosions and various differences of ranges and rifles. And some of these came out as free sound stuff that was a crowdsource. So I grabbed all of that well I could and have as many in diff as I can. The last one I just wanna show, well, second last, I have a bunch of peoples where I have things like crowds and auditoriums and laughters and courtrooms. Anytime there's a group of people there, that's useful. Um, I have a whole thing for body sounds where you get you know the burps and all that kind of stuff. 
and voices because sometimes I have just uh, public domain voices saying things that I can use for things. The last one I have that I, I, I covet is my transportation where I can look at cars, I can look at flight. There's a whole thing on flight where I have a bunch of different airplanes and various different ones and various different boat sounds as well to be able to utilize. So I've got a, I've got a ton of these things and, and, I, and some of them, as you can see, they just have numbers. I, I go through them and list, list them and try to put a, more, a better description in each of them as I go by. So those are ones I've purchased and collected. Um, can you see behind this? Oh, no, I better screen share this other one. So yeah, while you're doing it, um, I, I have a very similar file structure. The only thing I, I do differently is I keep uh, all the different, I have multiple variations of that based upon who I'm getting it from, because that makes it easy for me when I'm making credits of the show. I can go, I pulled that from Sonus. I pulled it from Freesound. I pulled it from Pond5. Nice. I know to put that in the lyrics because I am, or in the credits, because I'm required by law to credit them in my show. And right. if I didn't have it separated out by who I got it from, I would not be able to remember that. Right. That's that's an excellent point. And I should do that myself. I, I don't have that set up. I have to pull it from the, the ID3 tags. And that's, that's a pain. So I'll do that. You can see the website here of uh, the sound effects library. This is, this is anything I've created. Um, and so I've put it up on online for anybody to use. I don't make it super public, but anybody who's watching here, they're welcome to do it. So I've kind of done it by, this is not like beautiful, but by category, by subcategory, I put them in by shows at times. So you can see where the shows is and by contributors. So some people have given me their stuff as well. Pete has given me a couple of things and Alexa Chipman has given me a couple of things. And I got so, a few I can send you. Yeah, that'd be great. And so the more we can do, um, so for example, as, as a teacher, there's a bunch of uh, school stuff, right? School door things. Mm -hmm. So you'll, you'll go in and you'll see the file is right there and the categories and the subcategories that I put in for it. So if people need sound effects, they're more than welcome. What's that I have here for vehicle? Bus and helicopter? That's interesting. Maybe I was close by a helicopter at that point to be able to get it. Uh, bus ride. I mean, there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff on train coming up soon as I start to go uh, more train stuff. So that's kind of neat. Um, that's how that looks there that way. It also looks this way for me. So I use Lotus Notes to database all my stuff. So I find it a little clearer using the notes um, client. It's not as, as messy as it is on, on the web for that same thing. But that's where I'll be adding the, the new stuff there and I can add new descriptions and, and the attachment and all that. So that's how I break down my sound effects library. You'll notice I also have one for music that we use as well and, um, and other things too. So I just wanted to share that with folks because I think the more structured you are with this stuff, the more you save time as well. Is that a fair thing to say? Oops, yeah, I lost my video. Yeah. I should be ending this share. There we go. So there are all sorts of resources that people can have to be able to find all of these things, but structuring these is, is key in how you can be able to effectively save yourself some time. I know that um, Bill used to do this and uh, Jeff has done this a couple of times and you've done this Lothar a couple of times. I talk about things like listening parties. Um, some people have listening parties for releases that they're about to do 
and maybe they go back and tweak once in a while. But I know Lothar and and Brother Jeff and that have often put together like a scene and, and sent it off to the people involved and said, what do you think of this? Right. Or how does just to give people a sort of a teaser of that. Do you, do you think that's a regular thing people should put into their process? Or do you think that's just for fun? Do you think there's a, a real value in having people listen beforehand what you're about to release? What are your thoughts on that, Paul? I know Lothar has strong thoughts, and I want to hear yours first. Um, well, yeah, I suppose with The Green Horizon, it's a bit different. Um, for the most part, there, I don't do anything. I don't do anything. I definitely don't do listening parties anyway. But I don't typically send tend to send the lads on any of the scenes or any of the episodes. They'll they'll hear as everybody else does when it's released. Um, I think with Voiders, because a lot of the people involved in that were more so involved in the audio drama community, um, I kind of thought you know they might enjoy, they might get a laugh out of kind of hearing themselves in the show. So yeah, I was definitely sending sending on their scenes specifically. I wasn't sending on whole episodes. I think now that I'm involved in, in you know, Faustian Nonsense Network, the only people really who would hear the entire thing before it's released is me and then the two network execs, that's it. What I would be sending on scenes, um, and I, I think it's a nice thing to send on because these are, um, these are people I've only, I only just started working with. I, I mates with, I'm friends with all the people in Green Horizon, some of them going back years, you know? Um, so for the people involved in Voiders, I was only just getting to know them. And I thought, you know, it'd be a nice little thing to send them, you know, just to, also a way to kind of say, you know, I, hey, I appreciate, you know, you giving me your time and stuff. Here's what I've done with it. I hope you like it. You know, and I will ask for advice and stuff. Yeah. Um, with Voiders. But again, with Green Horizon, I, I don't, I, your Quiva will probably hear it. Um, but other than that, no, I, I don't, I don't send it out for listening parties to hear. Very cool. And and Lothar, your thoughts before you do, I just want to do a quick shout out to uh, Daniel French again from Atmosphere Fiction. Daniel's in the Mutual Audio Network as well. Matt Leong has joined us. Thank you, Matt. Good to see you as well. Also, some of his stuff in Mutual. This is great. All these people are coming from Mutual. And John Scott Ballantyne, of course, in the background from the last session. All of his stuff, Campfire Radio Theater, you can hear on his own theme and as well through Tuesday Terror and Mutual Audio and, and Wednesday Wonders, of course, is, is Lothar's baby, sci-fi and fantasy, and, and Paul's show can be heard uh, there, Green Horizons. So uh, what, do you, what are your thoughts on sending stuff out to people, Lothar? I usually only, I'm not quite as friendly as Bill, but I like what he did, so I found the right way to make it work for me. Um, I like to send it out to trusted colleagues if I want their feedback. So you and Jeff or other people, if it's appropriate to hear, send things to Tanya and Josh, because, you know, especially if it's like a horror sort of thing. Again, it's almost like handing it off to a, a trusted reader to say, am I missing anything here? Um, I'll also send it off like I sent off things to you as I was doing it for Right Number Wrong Party, because it's almost like you're my editor and I want to send you these stories I'm doing to make sure, that, hey, I'm working. How's everything going? If you see something you don't like, let's find it now so I can make some tweaks. Um, other than that, I don't do a whole lot of other than uh, announcing, especially to the cast as soon as it gets out. Thanks again, everybody, for being there. Uh, the show is available here. You all did great. Um, you know, and so it's not exactly a listening party, but it is a a show of gratitude as a collective whole of everybody that was involved in the show of, hey, thank you so much. 
And for those people who don't know, maybe Paul doesn't know, Right Number Wrong Party is the first script I produced ever. Yeah. And uh, Lothar so graciously has taken it and made it a 20th anniversary version where he's we've re-recorded it with all new actors and stuff like that. So it's a it's a fun little noir, which is funny that we're doing noir now in Sonic Echo. So it was uh, it was well put together and he did a brilliant job of putting together and adding all sorts of interesting context which i think he found in the script more than even i knew about so excellent stuff that way um so it it could it could also not having this stuff handed out early um hold off some complaints that you don't care about for that exactly. reason right exactly don't don't cast your pearls before swine <laughs> there you go so because if it's in if it's sort of done it's done. You know what I mean? And, uh, and especially yeah. since you guys are both the writers and the producers of that, it's not like you are looking for most people to come back and say, well, I think you should change this. It's like, no, this is my oh. baby. This is the yeah. way it's going to be. And can you imagine a painter? That? Can you imagine a painter with somebody coming out? I think that cloud should be a little to the right. I mean, you're going to get your throat slit, you know, come on. Come on. <laughs> What tell me about the relationship that you have um, with your musicians um, or the people who do the music? How do you select the music that you do? Because again, we're talking structure. How do you select the music that you do? Where do you struck the music that you do? Sorry, Don just says that happens to visual artists all the time. I'm just yelling because he had it. I'm, I'm sorry, Don. Uh, Don does a, amazing work himself on on miniatures. I, I should say I'm talking about fine artists that are going to show something in a gallery, not not for right. commercial purpose of like right. I'm hiring you as a hired gun. Do it that That's way. Right. Yeah. So um, talk to, talk to me about your experiences with musicians, Lothar. You've worked with several throughout the time. Um, yeah, for the most part, I started off using uh, Incompetech, Kevin McLeod stuff, like everybody else where it's really, you think you, you go, oh, I know this one song. I want something that has a similar sort of feel to it and you do your best to find it. And that's its own type of ear that you need to develop that eventually you figure out what types of music will work better than others, trial and error, falling on your face, downloading three and going, none of them work. And then you finally find something. Um, I know just enough to be dangerous with GarageBand for some background drones and things like that, but I couldn't compose an actual song. And I've worked with Sharon B because you hooked us up and actually commissioned her to uh, do a number of um, theme music, some sub theme music and a number of stings. And that was really fun because I gave her exactly the parameters of exactly what I was looking for. Um, I had worked in web design. And so I understood that sort of client needs analysis process of like, you don't just say what you dislike, you say what you do like, and you try and give them enough to be creative within that. Uh, took us a number of passes before some of my crazy ideas could be manifested in reality. And then we did it and I was completely happy with the process. Yeah, I find that with Sharon, it's sort of like, she's not quite sure, she's not quite sure, she's got it. You know, yeah. like it's just like, it's yeah. one of those things, right? And so trying to get into the head of the artist on both sides, we, we said last session communication is key. And I think it's, it's extremely goes the same way when it comes to your music and your artwork that way. What do you do music wise yourself, Paul? Um, so for me, I think I'm in the um, early stages of what Lothar was talking about, which is just going online, devoting a long time to just going onto free, I use free music archive, and then I, I also use free sounds again, 
just looking for you know like um um creative common stuff just to try and download and listen and play um i definitely think the, the show is at a point now where i kind of know the sound of it so when i like when i go to a scene and i know how the scene wants to end because i do i like the i do have a unique outro for every episode you know i like to play a song that I, that I like that I found on a free music site um, I have some that I would go back to a good few times because I just think that their sound works very well with the show but it's finding the, the songs to begin with is the hardest part like I think I spent two hours trying to just fix an outro for the last episode of Voiders where I had the sound and I was trying to mix it in a way that it works but I tinkered with it and messed with it, I'd say about 30 different times before I got it to, to play out just the right way. So like, I don't have any musicians on hand. I do a little bit of mixing. I have done some small amounts of it um, just with like very simple, repetitive bass lines in the background and stuff. I did a, I've done a little bit for season three and I did a little bit for season one. Um, but again, it's kind of, I go back to a couple of um, artists that would have their stuff on these free sites. And I would typically just tend to try and go through all their songs and see which one works. And if none of them work, then I'll try and cast the net a bit more. And I might end up going through 10 or 15 pages of just either rock or country and Western or bluegrass for whatever reason. Bluegrass and all that tends to work really well with the show. And I'm not too sure why, but it does. So I'll just, that's what I'll do. It'll take, it, it does take me a long time, but I do think that there's like, there's quality songs out there like that are just there for free like like bands that i've now like got like gotten into like as in like i i would go and see them live and i have listened through to all of their albums because i've just come across them a free music archive and i've used their songs and shows and i've gone this, this these bands are brilliant you know what i mean like so i definitely think there's a lot of like um there's a lot of discovery out there and it's fun to do it that way. It's it's difficult because you, you can't ask them to, to make a, a song for you. You just got to find it and just hope that the idea in your head is going to work and there's going to be a song there for you. And there might not be, so you might have to figure something else out. But, uh, that's, for sure. Yeah, that's just how I work. No, that's great. And I'm just putting in our comments section. I have a database, of course, where I put uh, public domain links for people. So including stories, pictures, uh, uh, songs and I forget what the other thing is, but I, I try to put as much public domain and co and um, comments, copyright comments stuff available for people to use because uh, these kind of resources are hard to find. Um, Matt Leon comes up with a couple because I'd love to have a couple of questions. We're running out of time. We've we are out of time. We are out of time. We're, we're a minute over. Oh, my mistake. So Matt just points out that Tom Parsons is another great musician that's available for AD. He's done work with SCP Archives and Creepy. Uh, I wish I could work with him. I, I, I know he's very busy, and so we haven't had a chance to do it. For now, though, I think we'll have to say goodbye. I th here, I thought we had 15 minutes. This is my brain going today. <laughs> Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you yeah. so much, Lothar. Thank you. Uh, coming up for people that uh, who are waiting, this is uh, a great session on Soundscape with Dane uh, Leonardson, Austin Beach, Michael Stokes, and Lothar Tuppen will be doing that. This is like the creme de la creme of uh, some folks who've been doing some audio drama and get right deeply into the soundscape stuff. So we'll all look forward to that. Thank you very much, both of you. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
Now, you seem to me to be a connoisseur of the best of radio drama. In which case, make sure you're subscribed to the Monday Matinee feed. There we have our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic and live radio drama. So, yeah, either the main Mutual Audio Network feed for all types and genres of audio drama or the Monday Matinee. And we'll see you there. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.